Good morning. So it's my understanding now that if you are, is it second grade and under, then you are to be released out into the world. I guess you'll come back. Or if you're an adult that's going to have a hard time sitting still, you can go too if you want. Is this like super, super loud or is it is the echo? Maybe. There we go. That sounds a little better. This thing doesn't fit my head. It's made for someone with a big head. Paul Phillips. See, he's got a big melon. It's. I didn't mean that like metaphorically that he has a big fit. I just meant that he has a bigger head than I do. It's all that wisdom. So, all right. Let's close in prayer. I'm joking. Um, hey, thank you for um, having me back. It's always fun to come back here to Wilmington, to my people. It's like I feel I grew up literally right down the road on George Anderson Drive. And I used to play in the woods and shoot things back in these woods with my BB gun, including some of my uh, friends and stuff like that. You know, this is fun just to come back here and play around. And um, it's always fun to come back here and see all of you. So, um, hey, I'm drawing your attention to your program, to two things. One, this image... You guys always put an image on the on your programs, which I like. I'm a visual person. I like um, art and photographs and stuff like that that tell a story. And so, the, uh, the right underneath that, you'll see the title of this sermon is "The Two Relentless Loves," and that picture of the ocean crashing on those rocks and that title will come together. You'll see. But I'm gonna I, I'll ask you a number of times to to, to look at that picture again. But I want you to embellish that picture a little bit more than that. Uh, I want you to picture like a cliff. If you've ever been to you know, Northern California or maybe even up on the uh, northern east coast, we have these rocky shorelines and you'll see the ocean just colliding with the rocks. And it just, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's violent at times. Um, but it's also beautiful, you know, this all this power of the ocean colliding with the power of this rock and... We'll come back to that in a minute. So the uh, the title, The Two Relentless Loves, let me explain that to you. First, we have to focus on the word relentless. Um, when I think of relentless, as a sports fan, that's where all my metaphors and analogies go to pretty quickly, I think of a defense that won't let the other team score. You know, their defense was relentless. Or maybe it was a pitcher in the baseball game that didn't allow a hit. He was relentless. Or maybe it was a very long tennis match. I just recently started getting into watching tennis and playing tennis. And I remember watching the Wimbledon. Uh, was it the semifinal match? We went forever. And these guys, neither one of them wanted to give up a point. It was, they were both relentless. And sometimes that word can be manifest in our, um, in nature. And we, we, we see it if you're on the beach and the sun's just baking your skin. You would say, oh, the heat of the day, the sun was relentless. Or the rain recently is <laughs> like relentless. And it's, I live down in Charleston, it's been very bad there too. And I don't know if there's something wrong with my house, but all this rain has caused a very annoying drip. It's in this one corner of the house. I'm hoping there's nothing really wrong. Uh, I, maybe it's just like a gutter that's gotten clogged up, but it is a drip, drip. Drip all day and all night, and it is relentless. And it's just carved out like a mini Grand Canyon from where that drip has come down, and it is relentless. 
But don't think of a little drip when you think of, uh, of, of what we're going to talk about today. I want you to go back to this picture of the relentlessness nature of this ocean. You know, it's the tides swing in and swing out and ebb and flow and the storms bring up these waves and, and all this energy. Uh, as a surfer, I grew up surfing. I love the ocean and the study of waves and stuff like that. And I learned at one time, and I don't know if this is true, so if there's any oceanographers out there that can correct me. But I learned that one cubic yard of water, of salt water, can, it weighs a ton, depending, I guess, on how much salt's in it. But anyhow, but so it weighs a ton. So there's a giant ocean with all this tons of energy. All these waves ebbing and flowing and then coming uh, violently against a rock. I want you to think of that when we talk of relentlessness today. This relentless nature of the ocean. And then the, the second part of the title, the relentless loves. Love, I mean, there's all kinds of different words that we use to describe love. I heard that there's over 700 different versions of love in all the different languages in the world. Uh, there's different versions of love even in the Bible. You know, there's three or four different wor- uh, words that Jesus used to explain love. Uh, but the love we're going to talk about today uh, is where we get um, compassion from. It's it's called splatnichima or something that sounds like that. <laughs> and it means a love from the gut. Like a deep-rooted love that's filled with passion and energy, and it's relentless. Splatnitsima. It even sounds like it's supposed to be passionate and relentless, but it comes from the gut. So we're talking about this relentless love. And not just one, but two. There's two kinds of relentless loves. If you uh, were paying attention, and I hope you were, to the scripture readings this morning... And you're familiar with those stories, you might um, be sensitive that the nature of those stories is kind of, uh, could be very explicit. And as a father, <laughs> and, and children in here, and knowing that there's multi-generational, uh, and a multi-generational audience here, uh, rest assured I will be sensitive as we go through these stories. But I don't want to steer away from the precept and principle Attached to those stories. So I'll just be sensitive with my words. But the first story I want to look at, and we're not going to read it. I'm just going to kind of just wrap up the the story uh, shortly. Is the story uh, found in Hosea. Hosea is one of the minor, one of the 12 minor prophets. Hosea lived at a time, uh, this is taking place at about 760 years before the time of Christ, I think. And he was a great prophet. He was a very, I've been told he was a very passionate prophet. So he, at this time in the nation of Israel's uh, history, he was there on the scene during a time of great economic um, uh, good times. An uptick in the economy, if you will. Uh, There was new wealth amongst the nation and new opportunity. And when that happens, uh, much like we see in our own culture, there was um, new distractions for the people. With all this great wealth also came um, a, a tendency towards uh, wandering away in social and moral decay. And that is where we find Hosea the prophet. And, and I don't know uh, uh, how and why all this worked out 
other than I just read in the scripture that that the Lord God had him marry somebody who was a harlot, somebody who vocationally gave herself to lesser loves. So she was married to Hosea. And, and as we know, as Christians, marriage, the institution of marriage is sacred. This meant a lot to God as he said, Hosea, I want you to marry this woman. He, God didn't take that lightly. He doesn't take our marriages lightly. He doesn't take marriage in all of culture lightly. And we're going through this cultural war right now as we're trying to define marriage. And I would just say that it is messy, but God defines it, not us. So we have this Hosea who's told by his Lord, and he's a prophet, he hears from the Lord, hey, you're going to marry this woman, and she has a way about her that is not normal. And a profession, even. And, uh, and she's driven to that profession. Um, uh, for maybe her own inadequacies, or maybe she is uh, just money hungry, and she realizes, hey, I can go make a lot of money. Maybe she's so materialistic that she chooses this world because there's, you know, it's... This profession could be profitable or maybe that she's just drawn to a deeper side of that dark nature. And for whatever reason, that's that's her. Her name is Gomer. Now, when I hear the name Gomer, I think of Gomer Powell and Andy Griffith. So I can't think of anybody other than this. Gomer. Hey, Andy, <laughs> that goofy guy. He had his own show, didn't he? When he he went to the military or something like that. I remember like watching that after school or something like that. But that's who I think of. But I want you to picture somebody who, if you were Hosea, you would be excited about marrying. You know, picture a beautiful woman and, you know, she's personable, she's charismatic. But remember this profession that she has chosen too. So at the start, everything probably seems hunky-dory. In fact, they have a child together. And uh, just a normal, normal child, normal marriage, normal lifestyle. And then at some point, things start going astray. I, I, don't, I don't know really how and why it happens. We're not really told all the details. But we can relate to that, right? If you're married or, you're, uh, or you've seen this in your own parents' lives, sometimes even people that love each other greatly go in different directions. Maybe not as extreme in this case, as is in this case, but this still, something happens. You just kind of drift apart. One spouse is working too much. The other spouse isn't getting what they need at home. And, you know, whatever. Somehow or another, something happened. And there was a split. Uh, jo- uh, Hosea was, he was bent on this job that he had been given by God to be a prophet. Hey, uh, nation of Israel, you need to turn to God. God loves you, whatever his message was. And he, he's just relentless in that message. And then his wife, Gomer, was relentless in her pursuit of her own fleshly desires. And she went off. And she did her own thing. And Hosea probably wasn't um, blind to what was happening. It was awkward. It got messy. There was probably arguments at the house. There was hurt feelings involved. It, it got it got really messy. So much so that uh, Gomer comes home and says, "Hey, I'm pregnant, and this child is not yours." And so the translation that was read this morning in the scripture um, came from your pew Bibles. 
That's the English, re- what's that, the English Revised Standard. Is that right? English Standard Version. Uh, and the NIV and the RSV, I mean, in the uh, NIV and the Living Translation, it says that their, this, this child born out of wedlock's name was to be not loved. You're going to name that child not loved. And then, um, and then it happens again. Like not loved is barely weaned. I mean, you know, she's trying to learn to walk. And then mom comes back home. Guess what? I'm pregnant again. And Hosea, it's not yours again. This time God says, name this child uh, not, of, not of our family, not of your family. So he's got th- three children. One of them's not loved. One of them's uh, not of this family. What God is trying to say is, when you turn and go do your own thing, the fruit of that is never good. It's not of my will. <laughs> That's what God's saying. And this is not good. Okay? And, and, and he's going to remind everybody by naming these children that. Well, it stinks to be those kids, right? They didn't do anything, but that's, that's, that was what God was trying to uh, say there. So imagine, if you will, how, if you're Hosea, how you feel. Your wife, the one that is your, the love of your life, the one that God gave you to marry, is off pursuing other people, other loves, lesser loves. I'm sure Hosea could love her well. I'm sure he loved her deeply. But she turned from that love and went out and pursued her own fleshly desires. And she did so relentlessly. Relentlessly in pursuit of her own fleshly desires. And she would come home and there was Hosea to welcome her back with relentless love. So back to the picture on the on the program. There's these waves of of Gomer's flesh, you know, I'm going to go off and do what I want to do. But then I'll come back and there's the love of my life to take me back. But yet I'll turn again and go do my own thing. And then I'll come back pregnant with the fruit of my sinful ways, ways. And uh, and there's Jose to take her back. Now, obviously, God's point in this is that we are like Gomer. And he is like Hosea. And so many times in life, God does that with us. He wants us to use our words like the prophet Hosea had. Hey, uh, nation, repent of your ways. Turn to God. These are the words from God. Those were his words to the people. But God uses our lives Our stories to prove a point too. And each of you have a story. All of us have a story. I've got a story. It's not pretty all the time. Your stories aren't pretty all the time. And God's nature is revealed in our stories. Just like it is in Hosea and Gomer's. But this is us. In a violent, passionate, relentless way, we pursue lesser loves. Now, we're not going to, I'm not asking for a show of hands or anything like that, but I do want you to fill in the blank right there as you sit. What are the things that you are pursuing that are lesser loves? Who are you pursuing that is a lesser love? 
What are you pursuing that is a lesser love? Maybe it's part of your career. Maybe it's a relationship. Probably it's just your own self. You know, we've designed a universe that revolves around us very, you know, very much to our liking. Just fill in the blank. Whatever it is, I guarantee you, our tendency is to pursue that thing relentlessly. Here's the proof. If right now we are decided to say, all right, today, right now, starting at this point, we are not going to pursue sin anymore. We're going to deny ourselves and only do the will of God. Ready? Starting now. It doesn't last, it doesn't last very long, does it? I mean, we're just bent towards sin and we will immediately return back to like that drip coming from my house. Just a constant, persistent, passionate pursuit of this relentless sin that is in our lives. Well, like I said, God um, likes to tell us about himself in story. He does so in the story of Hosea and Gomer. He does so in our lives. Um, it actually gets worse for Gomer. i got to tell you this. At the end of the story there, we find Hosea finding Gomer in a slave market. A, a shell of her former self. She is now just tattered and just... She's probably lost a lot of weight. Her beauty is gone. I mean, she is just, she is at her life's end because of this pursuit. And that's where, that's where our stories will head. That's what sin does to us. It destroys us. And we are in bondage to it. Enslaved to it. And, and the, in the, in the gospel, I mean, in the, the Bible doesn't tell us how the story really ends. We're left to wonder, like, did maybe, did maybe Gomer come back yet again after going out to her street corner or wherever she hung out? And finally, uh, she said, okay, I'm done. I'm just gonna, we're, we're back together, Hosea. It's all done. I got that out of my system. We don't know. We don't know. And we didn't have Dr. Phil back in the day to tell us how to wrap that all up. But we know in the gospel from Matthew, Peter asked Jesus, well, how many times should we forgive people? Seven times? And then Jesus says, no, 70 times 70. So that's math help. 490, right? Is that right, John? 490? Any people with good math? Okay, 490 times. We're supposed to, be, we're supposed to forgive people 490 times. But then after that, it's God nature to just to be done with us, right? That 491st time, he's done with us, right? No. God's love is relentless, too. Our sinful pursuit of our own flesh is relentless. But God's love, just like Hosea's, is relentless to be there for us and to always forgive us. Well, we see that in our lives, like I said. And I want you to hear this. This is a great saying. I didn't make it up. I wish I did. It's really cool. The most important thing about you is what God says about you. And the most important thing about God is what God says about himself. I say that again. The most important thing about you is what God says about you. And the most important thing about God is what God says about himself. And using Hosea and Gomer, God says, I will always be there for you. Now, look at your own lives, your own stories. 
Eugene Peterson says it this way. We live in a narrative. We don't live in a series of propositions and schedules or systematic theories. We live in a narrative. We live in story. Existence has story and shape to it. We have a beginning and an end and plot and characters. The story of Gomer is our story. The story of Hosea is God's story. And I want you to see that your life is like this picture. We are in this sea of going out to satisfy our flesh and coming back to this God who loves us, right? Out to satisfy our flesh and sinful desires and back to the God that loves us. So here's the million dollar question this morning. How do we reconcile that? That is a mystery, isn't it? I mean, if we really want to know the nature of God, if we really care about good theology in the church, then we have to say, how does that work? Those two things don't go together. The relentless pursuit in this direction of sin and self and flesh and the world and the relentless love of God over here to accept us back and love us. Those two things are worse than oil and water. They just don't go together. But if you've grown up in the church, especially the evangelical Protestant church, you've become maybe a little bit numb to that. Of course, God loves us when we're sinners. But try to wrap your brain around that. How do those two things even go together? It's really important to figure out that mystery. I heard it said recently, I read this quote, that if if we awake at all, if we awake at all, we awake to, to the truth of mystery. So how do we awake to that truth, that mystery that we're going to go this way and then back this way and God's there for us. And then that way and then back this way and God's there for us. How does that work? Well, we see it fleshed out in the gospel. Let's let's read this together. Let's go through it. It's, it's Luke 7 verse 36. And we'll close by reading this together. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. In your pew Bible, it's on page 864. Have you noticed people have started uh, looking at the scripture from their cell phones? And as someone up front watching you do that, I think you're texting or playing a video game. (laughs) Stephen, I'm checking. I know you're not. You're following along, right? That's okay. Luke chapter 7. Let's close with this. Let's try to reconcile this mystery. Verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. One of the uh, uh, translations says he reclined at the table. Don't you love that picture of the God of the universe? I'm just hanging out. I'm reclining back. I'm God, you're not. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... She had the same profession as Gomer. I I don't know what drove her. We don't know anything about the background of this woman. Maybe she had no other way of making ends meet financially. Maybe she herself was a slave. The The statistics are staggering. The amount of young women and boys, girls and boys... That are being sold into this type of slavery around the world. 
We don't see that in our tidy little suburban lives, but it is there all over the place. Maybe that was her background. Or maybe she was like Gomer and just out of just sin and fleshful desire chose that lifestyle. We don't know. But it was relentless. And so she, here she is in front of Christ. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner was there. When she learned that he was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house, he brought an alabaster flask of ointment. It was perfume. Very expensive perfume. Someone in this, per, in this profession might use a lot of their resources to uh, kind of get, you know, dressed up and smell good and look nice and be appealing. So she brought some of that, some of this uh, flask of this alabaster ointment, this perfume. And then in verse 38, it said, And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair. First off, I have, we have to stop. Standing behind him at his feet. You don't stand at someone's feet. I'm not saying the translation there is screwed up, but I think it's screwed up. I mean, she's down on the ground at his feet. She, she's behind him. Why is she behind him? He's standing here having a conversation with the Pharisees or with some of the, his friends. And she's at his feet behind. You remember uh, the original sin, Adam and Eve, and God came looking for him in the garden? And they were there going, here we are, God. We've sinned against you and we're ready to own up to it, right? No, they were hidden. Have you ever faced somebody that you've sinned against? Your tendency might be, your posture might be to be at their feet and behind them. You feel unworthy. Remember the prodigal son? Why he was a long way off. He's contemplating, how do I go back to the father? Maybe I can go back as a hired hand or as a servant or something like that. But when I go back... I'm not going to face him. That's how she feels. She's at his feet. And she's weeping. She is reconciled in her heart. Her tendency towards this relentless pursuit of self and flesh. And she is weeping. And she is washing Jesus' feet with her tears. That's a lot of tears. I don't know how broken you are about your sin. There's been times in my life, honestly, that I've been more broken than other times. Maybe it's because I haven't really taken the time to reflect on it. Because when I do, I find myself weeping at the nature of Jimmy Kaiser. That's where she is. And she's anointing him with this perfume. And everybody's going, holy cow, that's some expensive perfume. Who is this lady? What is she doing? What a waste of perfume. <laughs> what a waste of a person. Who invited her here? And, I mean, get up off the floor. You look like a fool. Until somebody finally has the guts to kind of ask Jesus about this. He says, uh, verse 39, When one of the Pharisees who invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know... Who and what sort of woman this is who touches him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered uh, to him or said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. 
A certain money lender, money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. 500 denarii is a lot of money. Okay? It's, it's to the point where you can't pay it back on your own. A lot. A lot of debt. The other has a little debt. Now, which of them will, uh, when, when they cannot pay this debt back, he canceled the debt of both. Which of them will love him more? Verse 30, I mean 43. Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet her wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You do not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with with this perfume. Verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven for she loved much. But he who has forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. This is how we can reconcile this, this relentless pursuit of, from us towards sin in our own flesh and the relentless love of, of our heavenly father. When we acknowledge our sin, then we can reconcile this mystery. You see, it's our acknowledgement of our sin that drives us to Jesus. In our self-righteousness, we might be attracted to things that are about God. But when we acknowledge our sin and really are broken about that sin, we can be driven by that sin to Jesus himself, like this woman. And then, of course, he says, you know, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Peace, that's what I want more than anything. And there's many of you here today that just want peace. You want to figure out how to reconcile those two polar opposite things. Let me close in this. And this is also a quote that's on the cover of your um, your program. It's a quote by Charles Spurgeon. And as I read it, I want you to look at that picture and picture the violent Relentless ways that you have gone against the love of God and how he has been there for you when you have returned like Hosea was to Gomer. Spurgeon says, I have learned to kiss the wave that drives me against the rock of ages. That is a disciplined church that we need to grasp the understanding of our sin and how then we can come into the presence of Christ because it is that sin that drives us back into the loving arms of Christ. Let me close this in prayer. Lord, we are, we are able to reconcile this great mystery of our relentless love away from you and your relentless love towards us 
if we're able to come into an appreciation of this sin and an acknowledgement of this sin that drives us away from you and then back to you for your love and your forgiveness. There's nowhere else in the universe where that is true. Only in your love. And that is a mystery we pray that you would reveal to us. In Christ's name, amen.